Thanks for downloading this History Hub podcast. This podcast is brought to you in association with Globalizing the Rising, 1916 in Context, a major conference which will take place in University College Dublin on the 5th and 6th of February 2016. For more information, go to centenaries.ucd.ie. In this episode, a paper recorded at the Universities in Revolution and State Formation Conference, which took place in UCD Newman House on the 5th and 6th of June 2015. This project was funded by an Irish Research Council New Foundations Award and by a University College Dublin Decade of Centenaries Award. Podcasting was by Real Smart Media. This episode features a recording from Panel 2, Academics in State Formation. The paper, Emerestin Evans, Queen's University Belfast, was given by Dr. Matthew Stout from St. Patrick's College, Drumcondra. Thank you very much, and thanks to the organisers for letting me speak here today. Uh, my work rarely intersects with the modern, and it's nice to play my part in the uh, decade of commemoration. I, I was there in the GPO. <laughs> Northern Ireland is an ideal area in which to study the role of universities in state formation for two reasons. Firstly, the Northern Irish state was newly and unexpectedly founded between 1922 and 1925, and therefore had to establish a national identity from scratch. And secondly, the foundation of the new intellectual institutions of Northern Ireland, from its foundation to its demise as a self-governing entity in 1972, was dominated by a single individual, Emer Eston Evans. And taken as a whole, Evans' writings contributed to the creation of a national identity for Northern Ireland. Evans graduated from Aberystwyth in 1925, where he, stundered, where he studied under H.J. Fleur and was appointed as a lecturer to the newly created Department of Geography at Queen's University Belfast in 1928. The creation of a Department of Geography at Queen's had been due to the efforts of R.W. Livingston, the first English vice-chancellor of the university. And it is difficult, people have found it difficult to explain Livingston's interest in geography. He was himself a classicist, but it is significant that the largely Scottish uh, establishment at Queen's regarded geography as an English intrusion. In 1953, Evans looked back on the early years of the Northern Irish state, and he voiced his awareness of the institutional vacuum that existed in 1928. He wrote, when Northern Ireland was established as a self-governing political unit, it lost and still lacks a national museum and a national library. Later, after its foundation in 1962, Evans proclaimed, we now have our national museum the Ulster Museum. Evans was foremost of those involved in the creation of strictly Northern Irish institutions. This began during his first year at Queen's University Belfast in 1928 when he founded a local branch of the Geographical Association. The expressed aim of the Northern Irish Geographical Association was to assist by correspondence and consultation the teaching of geography in the district. Thus, the aims of perhaps the first expressly Northern Irish cultural body was the shaping of a geographical perspective within the six-county state. In this regard, Evans wrote, My primary purpose in pressing for an honor school in arts and science had been to provide qualified teachers 
for the province's secondary schools. Initially, at least, Evans viewed geography as a teacher training exercise designed to foster a Northern Irish identity within its schools. In 1938, Evans and Oliver Davis and others launched the third and present series of the Ulster Journal of Archaeology. They did this with financial assistance from Queen's University. This was intended to replace the Irish Naturalist Journal as the organ of publication for their archaeological findings. The journal used as its logo the state insignia of Northern Ireland, the red hand of Ulster surmounted by a crown. We know how significant flags and emblems are to the contemporary peace process, and the meaning of this emblem was not lost on contemporary observers either. The first editorial in the UGA was already on the defensive. The, the first editorial states, to those who may criticize the journal as being concerned mainly with the six counties of Northern Ireland, we would reply that we will with pleasure consider all articles concerned with Irish or European archaeology which have special reference to Ulster. Nonetheless, the early editorials in the UGA certainly establish it as an organ of the establishment of the six-county Ulster. This new logo of the UGA was from Dramatic change from the insignia of the first series that featured the red hand over the legend Love Dog Derek Aaron, the red hand of Ireland. It is red in the original logo. Nice bit of two-color printing. But uh, the second series, the, the logo of the second series, used more controversially the seal of the Gaelic clan chief Hugh O'Neill. And it says there, King of Ulster. The establishment of the second series in 1895 was certainly a product of the Gaelic revival. Just look at who was involved in its resurrection. Most spectacularly was Francis Joseph Bigger, who was founding editor, and Yates, Douglas Hyde, and George Moore were listed among 52 persons who have promised literary contributions. The direction of the journal, like its logo, turned 180 degrees from a journal of the Celtic revival to one where the significance of the Celtic and Irish prehistory was constantly challenged. The creation of strictly Northern Irish institutions continued with the foundation of the journal Ulster Folklife in 1955 by Eston Evans, or Eston Evans was very much involved. This is an important departure from the usual and most effective means by which a national consciousness is formed. Eup Learson notes that the link between the emergence of folklore and of nationalism is well established. But Evans rejected folklore in favor of folk life. Folklore is too contentious. In Ireland, folklore is about fairies, but it is also about Cromwell, famine, and rapacious English landlords. Folk life, in contrast, is ahistorical and concerned with rural traditions, whose only sectarian note concerns on what side of the spade the lug is located. Folk life is common ground, to use the title of Evans' 1984 book on Ulster. Continuing on this theme of strictly Northern Irish institutions, Evans was an early supporter of the Archaeological Survey of Northern Ireland. He was a founding member of the Northern Irish Tourist Board. 
He was founding member of the Ulster Folk and Transport Museum at Kultra, which opened in 1964. And within Queen's University itself, his wide interests led to the establishment of the departments of archaeology and of social anthropology, and ultimately the foundation of the Institute of Irish Studies. Something of an anomaly, and I won't get into that. The corollary of his support of Northern Irish institutions was that Evans rarely published in Irish journals, like, for example, the Proceedings of the Royal Irish Academy or the Journal of the Royal Society of Antiquaries of Ireland. He never published in Irish Geography or Belidus, the Journal of the Irish Folklore Commission, founded in 1927, which was itself, which, and, and Belidus is a journal which plays its own part and nation-building within the free state. So if Evans has a control over these institutions and uh, part and parcel of setting up these institutions and he's uh, uh, teaching the teachers of Northern Ireland, the question, I guess, is what did he teach and what did his students teach in turn? And what they teach uh, uh, and what was of critical importance in establishing uniquely Northern Irish institutions was the creation of a sense of Northern Irish exceptionalism, thus providing a foundation or justification for the existence of the six-county state beyond the reality of its sectarian underpinnings. Although it is natural for all academics to support the development of their subject within the existing administrative framework, highlighting cultural and historic distinctions between Northern Ireland and the Free State was a particularly emotive practice, but also made Evans a particularly popular academic. In 1942, Evans summed up decades of archaeological research with the following statement. The two main entrances used by the megalithic builders were the Boyne Valley and Carlingford Lock, and no doubt this contributed to the, earth, to the enduring distinction between North and South. This notion was a key factor in Evans' study of Ulster court tombs. The existence of different megalithic cultures was confirmed, in his opinion, by an extensive program of excavation and survey. Evans was in no doubt that in conducting this research, and this is a quote, political devolution had been a great assistance and that a cultural frontier had since prehistoric time traversed the Drumlin country. The effect of this perceived premier, perceived frontier, I should say, was, in his words again, to make prehistory respectable in Northern Ireland and to promote in the province the growth of regional consciousness. I do not suggest here that Evans suited his theories to chime with the prevailing political power structures, but those theories were congenial to those in power and secured support for his department and for his research. These theories of Ulster exceptionalism were based on his own conception of a distinctive northeastern distribution of court tombs in Ulster, establishing the link between Northern Ireland and Scotland in the Neolithic period. This enabled Evans to view the 17th century Anglo-Scots plantation of Ulster not as a discontinuity, but as a more recent manifestation of the enduring and advantageous links between these islands. Evans's arguments on behalf of a distinct Northern Irish heritage became increasingly emotional during the 1970s and 1980s. 
years which correspond to the strife in Northern Ireland and the dissolution of the six-county nation with the advent of direct rule in 1972. In 1971, he complained, and this is the quote, it is hard for many Irishmen to see partition as anything more than a British imposition, ignoring Ulster's long tradition of proud independence. The unacceptable language of geographical determinism is heard in one of Evans's best-known adages. In Ulster, where you find the drumlins, you will hear the drums Geographical exceptionalism is a double-edged sword. And Learson, Job Learson, points out how cultural organizations can create divisions even in the absence of a separatist intent. Evans supported projects that emphasized the difference between Ulster and the Free State and then the Republic. But it also had the effect of differentiating Northern Ireland from England thereby undermining the concept so eloquently eloquently expressed by Margaret Thatcher when she said that Northern Ireland was as British as Finchley. An argument allied with that of Ulster exceptionalism was his concept of continuity. In his early writings on Irish archaeology, he spoke of the gradual valleyward movement of the peoples from the Neolithic to the Iron Age. Throughout his career, he referred to elder faiths, elder pre-Christian faiths, believing, in his own words, that the Irish were megalith builders who somehow learned to speak Gaelic. His continuity theories place Ulster ancestry among Neolithic migrants from Scotland, and the ultimate implications of this argument is summed up by his own words as follows, the enduring essentials of Irish civilization and the basic element of the Irish population are pre-Celtic. Celticism, the foundation of Irish national identity, was, for Evans, the non-enduring, non-essential aspect of the island's past. This belief in continuity in the landscape has had a long and, I believe, detrimental influence on the study of Ireland's past. Evans' focus on le long durée, as they would say in the Annal School, this laudable historical approach, uh, Evans prioritized long-term, long-term historical structural change over mere events. I appreciate the value of this approach, but it also has its drawbacks. Over the long term, and for Northern Ireland that's a period of about 8,000 years, mere events like the Norman invasion, or the plantations, or the massacre of the Protestants, or 1916, or Bloody Sunday, etc., etc., are compressed, and their impact is ironed out, made almost to seem trivial in the long march of human occupation on this island. Le long durée was, like folk life, less contentious, safer. Evans was correct in this respect, He understood how history and commemoration could never establish a Northern Irish identity. One way to look at Evans' career is to assess how far he was, as a single individual, able to provide the foundations of nationhood for the new Northern Irish state. Now, I don't expect you to be able to read this from the back, but I'll I'll point out some aspects of this uh, illustration. 
Joop Leersen established pretty convincingly, I believe, that nationalism begins, begins at the cultivation of culture. By using his model, we can see how dramatic Evans' contribution actually was. Of course, it isn't meant to work like this. Leersen's model has culture preceding nation, not the other way around. But once the Northern Irish state was unexpectedly created, there seems to have been a scramble to, leg- to legitimize it by cultural means. What you can see in red, or what I was hoping that you might be able to see in red, were areas where Evans made a huge contribution to cultural nationalism. What I what hoped you might be able to see is that these are uh, cultural fields as determined by Jürgen Lersen, and he's looking at... Uh, it's a synthesis of the growth of Romantic nationalism in 19th century Europe, in, in, with I- Ireland, Wales, all, all Irish, all uh, European countries considered. It's interesting, it would have been interesting if he had applied that even to, um, to the New World, and you, you would have seen perhaps the Mexican Revolution, where the importance of visual, uh, the visual arts was, was uh, to the fore. But what, what you have here is areas where Evans was foremost in establishing the key uh, types of uh, institutions that, cre- that, that cultivated culture and national identity. Universities, libraries, museums, academies, government agencies. This is Jörg Lehrsen, but he could be writing about McNeil, or he could be writing about Raleigh, or he could be writing about Evans. Associations, academies, publishing ventures, periodicals, critical importance, archaeology, monument protection. We already heard about monument protection, monuments. Okay, so that's what Evans could achieve. What could he not achieve? Nothing about language. There is, that's one of the gaps. And the other gap that is referenced in this is folklore. Job Larson has folklore as a, as a central uh, component of the creation of, of culture and uh, natural, national identities. Using this model and using Northern Ireland as a test case, we can see a number of elements that are lacking or contested. Deficient to such a degree that as a result, the state of Northern Ireland ultimately failed. One can, for example, see the importance of language, even in the case where it is not broadly spoken. And I think that's extraordinary that how important language is in the creation of the Irish Free State when it remained a minority language. And, of course, as I refer to, again, to folklore. The concepts of Ulster nationalism became the origin myths of generations of Northern Irish men and women who were taught and brought up, uh, to use Dylan's expression, by teachers trained by students of Emer Eston Evans. As an historian of the early medieval period, I am accustomed to think of my work as having a limited relevance to the day-to-day lives of the general public, let alone to the lives of my own students. Evans, however, did have a profound effect on Ulster's image of itself, as his ideas emanated outwards from Queen's University, Belfast. Around the time of the Good Friday Agreement, the loyalist parla- a loyalist parliamentary par- paramilitary was interviewed, and he said the following. 
And this, this quote, I think, expresses both an alienation from the Irish and English states, which was the, uh, the, real, the, the realization of, if you like, of Evans' theories and the divisive nature of Evans' theories. He wrote, I was lifted in 1989. In late 1991, the authorities held a show trial to appease the pan-nationalist front. I believe I was a victim of these policies of appeasement. Back then, I thought the only way to get rid of conflict was to hit back. The UDA believed the only way was by retaliatory killings. They kill one of ours, we take two of theirs. We are a separate people. We have separate roots. We are Crin, and they are mostly Celts. It must be shown that our, our culture will not be affected in an all-Ireland state. Evans was very much to the, in the background of that statement of national identity. I wonder, and this is purely speculation now, I wonder if in the end of his life Evans questioned the impact of his university career, which I hope you'll agree was, was, was uh, quite important. And I wonder, did he think in the terms of Yeats, who questioned the consequences of his own literary output at the end of his career when he wrote in 1938, I lie awake night after night and never get the answers right. Did that play of mine send out certain men the English shot? Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this History Hub podcast. You can find many more podcasts at historyhub.ie forward slash podcasts.